Hello, welcome to Workplace Wake Up. I'm Jen Shaw. Every week, I spend about 15 minutes covering legal developments, introducing you to interesting guests, and providing some entertainment to start your workday. Hello, everyone. Welcome. I'm here today with Erica Frank, my colleague at the Shaw Law Group. Hi, Erica. How are you today? I'm doing great, Jen. Good morning. Oh, my gosh. Mandatory COVID-19 supplemental sick leave. Why am I having deja vu? I, you know, I'm aging myself, but I think of the movie Groundhog Day, right? Because we keep repeating things over and over, but they change just enough to make us even more crazy. I think that's right. And there are really some important nuggets in this new law. And one of the things, Erica, you're such a guru at the legislative process. Can we just start by giving everyone a little bit of an understanding of what happened here? Because I think it's confusing. There were two budget bills. They said the same thing. I just want to make sure everybody really understands what's going on. Yep, absolutely. So you probably all are wondering what we're talking about, or maybe you figured it out. Because Jen, I think we got so excited, we didn't even say we're talking about COVID-19 supplemental sickness. You're right. You're right. Back again, you know, back from the dead. It's like, you know, the cat that has nine lives. Um, So, yes, so as all of you may remember, we had supplemental sick leave in 2021 that expired at the end of September 2021. We were told that was it. We're not going to have to worry about additional supplemental sick leave. Of course, we have the Kalosha ETS issues, but that the exclusion component of that's not really a leave. It's more of a wage replacement, not to digress. So here we are, February 2022, and boom, we've got another supplemental sick leave. And what Jen was talking about is the legislature has very strict deadlines by which they have to follow in order for a piece of legislation to become law. Um, With budget bills, there's a little bit different timing. They can move a little bit faster. So what happened in the legislature over the last like seven days, really, um, is they took two budget bills. There's a budget bill in the Senate and a budget bill in the Assembly. And they put the same language in each bill. So we had AB 84 and SB 114. Both bills had the identical language. They both went through the process. The first one that was able to get out the gate to the governor's office became what we now know as COVID-19 supplemental sick leave. So that is SB 114. Governor Newsom signed the bill into law on February 9th. So hot off the press. So that is our little, you know, for lack of a better, Civics 101 on how a bill became a law this quickly. Erica, thank you, because I I think it's important for everyone to understand that. And obviously, we have listeners who are union representatives. We have CEOs of companies. We have HR professionals. There's something for everyone to love and hate about SB 114, right? And we, we need to sort of talk about how it works, what's different compared to SB 95, which we had last year, where should we start? So I think where we should start is, let's first talk about who's covered. Okay, it's funny. I heard someone say yesterday, uh, California has sick leave for large employers. It's 26 plus. If you've got 26 or more employees, I don't know about all of you, but I don't consider that to be a large employer. Many of our family owned 
local employers who have been working so hard to stay afloat during COVID will be significantly affected by this law. That's 100% correct. So I think that's a really important thing to start from is to know how many employees you have. And for many of you, you might be wondering, is it California employers, employees or is it any employee I have anywhere in the country? And it's any employee you have in the country. So once you hit that 26 employee mark, you're covered under this supplemental sick leave. Um, the other thing, Jen, let's talk about, even though the governor signed it yesterday, doesn't it have a retroactive effect? And what the heck does that mean? That's exactly right. It goes back to January 1. So first of all, remember that employers have until February 19th to comply with the requirements of the new law. And we'll talk about those in a moment. They include something to do with your wage statement. They include a notice. They include a couple of other things. By going retroactive, I think what the legislature was trying to do is say, all right, if you've already offered this time, if you were a good employer and you already did this, we're gonna count it, right? It's gonna be retroactive and we'll let it count for the 80 hours for full-time employees, which we'll talk about in a moment. The problem is the sick leave law requires that that time off be paid at the regular rate of pay. And that is not always how time off is going to be paid. That's so we're in a situation where even though there's retroactivity that some employers may be able to take advantage of, and certainly the California Healthy Workplace, Healthy Families Act sick leave requires us to pay at the regular rate. Many, many employers have multiple sick leave banks or they have paid time off banks that they're using to meet their obligations where they may not be paying at the regular rate. So the retroactivity is something that we're hoping is going to be addressed in some FAQs that should be out soon, hopefully before February 19th, but no guarantees there, um, so that we can get a little more understanding. But that's generally how it works. And the other thing, Jen, that I think we should note, too, with regard to the retroactivity is if you had employees who, say, had the Omicron virus and had to miss work and had no sick time, they can go back and ask to be paid for that time period that they were out. So that retroactivity also applies in those circumstances as well. Uh, but Jen's absolutely right. There's a lot of unanswered questions with this new bill. And I'm sure as you listen, you'll hear, <laughs> you'll probably have some yourself that hopefully the labor commissioner will clarify. Uh, so Jen, let's talk about the paid component. This is paid sick leave, as you mentioned. In 2021, employers could obtain a federal tax credit if they offered uh, COVID-related sick leave. That's no longer available now under federal law. Is there any corresponding tax credit that employers can claim for offering the state new state supplemental sick leave? Not at this point, Erica. We're not seeing anything. Now, could that be added on down the road? Could there be an addition? Sure. But the current version of the law as it has been signed by the governor does not include a tax credit. All righty. All right, let's get into the nitty gritty here. How much time can an employee take under the supplemental sick leave? Well, it's 80 hours, but it's divided into two buckets. So this is different than the way it was last year. And we're going to have a webinar next week on the 16th so we can go through all of the details here, folks. We try to keep these podcasts 
pretty short and sweet for your um, your just quick listening pleasure. But the idea is there are two buckets and there are different uses for the buckets. There are more broad protections um, for folks in the new law, for example, they can now take uh, time off to spend with a family member who has had a reaction to a COVID-19 vaccine. Um, that was not the case last year. So there are some broad protections. The 80 hours is still the same. And for full-time employees, obviously prorated for part-time. That's right. So initially the employee here, and like Jen said, we are gonna have a webinar to tease this out a little bit more, but initially it's a 40 hour bucket of time. And then to claim the other 40, there's certain hoops and hurdles or, or thresholds that need to be met for lack of a better word. Right, and one of those is a positive COVID test, which is really interesting, right? Because that wasn't part of last year's law. And there's a lot of controversy about these COVID tests right now. So easy to provide a, a COVID test result. In this case, you'd want it to be positive, right? You're on the beach in Cabo. You want to show that you've got a positive test result to your employer, so you get 40 hours of sick leave. I'm not saying everybody does that. Of course not. The vast majority of people who are going to use this benefit are going to do so appropriately and for legitimate reasons. But everyone needs to understand that where there's a, a hoop, some people will jump through it right and so there there is some built-in abuse with this testing process and again i hate to say it but we're hoping to get a little more information one of the things that we see a lot in these laws is that um the legislature will do something relatively general and then we need some faqs to clean it up and to help everyone understand the actual nuts and bolts and again, those FAQs will be issued by the Labor Commissioner's Office as they have done previously. So hopefully we'll have something up before we all have to start complying on the 19th. All right, let's talk about the wage statement, um, You know what an employer has to place on a wage statement. I think it's really important, Jen, for us to, to distinguish between what's required under normal mandatory sick leave, the healthy families, healthy workplace, and what is now required under this new supplemental sick leave. That's right. The new supplemental sick leave, SB 114, requires that employers put the amount of sick leave, of supplemental COVID-19 sick leave that the employee has used, not what they have available. That is a 180 from healthy families, healthy workplace, or healthy workplace, healthy families. And it's a 180 from SB 95. SB 95, last year's supplemental COVID-19 sick leave, tracked Healthy Workplace, Healthy Families Act. This one is a 180. And evidently there was a lot of negotiation back and forth. It ended up the way it ended up. And the real problem is many employers with 26 or more employees are gonna use a payroll service that has no idea how they're going to make this happen. So again, I always say with vendors, buyer beware, make sure you've got a vendor who can do what you need them to do because you're the one who will be holding the bag if they don't get it right. They're not going to indemnify you to make it right down the road. 100%. And again, folks, this can be on the pay stub or on a separate piece of paper Correct. that accompanies the final paycheck or for many of us that are more electronic these days where the employee can log in and look at 
their wage statement, that will suffice too. But as Jen said, um, a lot of these payroll companies are going to be, you know, kind of fl flipping out themselves wondering, wait a second, the way we are calculating your leave balances is not the way you're asking us to do it. So for some of you, that may mean that somebody is actually handwriting on or, or entering manually, whatever that balance will look like. But it is important for all of us to keep in mind that that is a huge administrative issue that needs to be sorted out before this goes into effect. Um, okay, Jen, we know that the legislature loves to create notices and artwork for our, our um, walls or at our home offices. Um, what's going on with SB 114 and notif notification requirements? So not surprisingly, there's a notice. It's going to have to be posted. It will be issued by the Labor Commissioner's Office. Stay tuned. I'm hoping by the 16th when we do our webinar, we will have a link to that notice and we can go through it with our listeners. Yep. But just know a new notice is coming. All right, just to put a nice bright red bow on this package um, of COVID-19 supplemental sick leave, everyone's been wondering, or a lot of people have been kind of scratching their heads and saying, well, what about the exclusion pay requirement in the Kalosha ETS? You know, last year we were able to require an employer to exhaust, or excuse me, require an employee to exhaust their supplemental sick leave before we have to pay out exclusion pay. Is that the case now with SB 114? In a word, no. So this is going to be very challenging for employers. Again, stay tuned. We're hopefully going to get some additional information in those FAQs. Um, but for now, this is where we are, everyone. Well, Erica, I think we've hit all the high points. Thank you so much for working with me on this one. There's so much going on. Thank you all for joining us today on Workplace Wake Up. If you enjoyed this episode and would like to spread the word, please share it with others, post about it on social media, and or rate and review it. Of course, you can also follow us on LinkedIn, Facebook, and Twitter, and email us at info at Workplace Wake Up, including its guests and hosts, do not provide legal advice in this podcast. Do not act upon any of the information discussed in this podcast without consulting a licensed attorney in your jurisdiction.